0: Join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Well, there you are. Welcome back to the table and the second of our appetizer episodes, where I get to explore some of my favorite words. Today's word is wild. Wild. What comes to mind when you hear that word? Perhaps something you were born to be, as in get your motor running, head out for adventure, Or perhaps you thought of that thing that makes your heart sing. I love the wild. Just the thought of it accelerates my pulse. And images of it pop up in a few of my favorite songs and favorite books. In the summer of 2019, I spent nine glorious days in Glacier National Park in northwestern Montana. After hiking trails and riding boats and encountering bears and moose and mountain goats and other wildlife, on the final day after the last hike, I pulled out my phone and spontaneously recorded myself singing John Denver's Wild Montana Skies. Now, if you know anything about me, I very much dislike making videos where I speak to the camera for some imaginary audience to watch later because it usually takes me 15 to 20 takes to get it right. It's just not natural for me. I'd rather be talking to a real person than an inanimate object. But on that day in Montana, after being immersed in the wild for nine days with the beauty of Two Medicine Lake and the snow-capped mountains all around me, with my heart brimming with life and love and joy, I nailed that song in one take. I love the wild. And if you're looking for a good book to read, I have several recommendations. Men, I encourage you to check out John Eldridge's Wild at Heart. There's also Mark Batterson's Wild Goose Chase. Mark Galley's Jesus, Mean and Wild. Perhaps my favorite book about Jesus ever written. Recommend it to me, by the way, in a conversation one day with a friend of mine, Michael Martin Murphy, who you might remember as the singer-songwriter of Wildfire. One final book recommendation, a book I'm reading now, Mark Buchanan's The Holy Wild. As you can see, I love the wild, and it is all around us all the time. If we would just stop and look, stop and listen, there's more around us to astound us. There's more life to be received than all the artificial distractions we waste so much of our lives pursuing. Sometime back in 2020, I heard singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson make this observation, He said, I was fascinated to read that when the country was standing still back in the spring, one of the top Google searches was, why are the birds louder? The birds, of course, weren't any louder. It was just that the world had gotten quiet enough for people to hear them again. There's so much grace all around us, and suffering is a sure way to get us to hear its song." So what's going on with all this wild that surrounds us? I was riding my motorcycle in the interstate when a blur of brown in tall green grass brushed my peripheral vision. I had a parallel visitor just off to the right. I first thought it was a rabbit. Yet even at 70 miles per hour, it is amazing how quickly the mind can possess or process. It, it was a fawn. I was skirting the edge of Eden and heaven was flirting with me. That's wild. Heaven is always flirting with us. We are continually pursued. Whether you believe in God or not, it's true. The wild is chasing you. The Bible begins with the account of creation of how the holy wild, God, created the planet wild earth. The first two chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, expedite the greatest artistic process and expression of creativity in the history of history. In six succinctly described days, God creates day and night, day one. There was no day until he created it, but once he created it, game on, so day one. Next, he created an expanse to separate the water and the sky so that was day two on day three he created and separated land and seas and came up with trees and plants on day four he designed the Sun the moon the planets the stars I picture him flinging stars like confetti and glitter yet knowing every one of them by name and then taking his finger and drawing images clues hints of dippers and arrows and hiding a horse in a nebula and on and on to, to infinity and beyond, just awaiting our discovery these past few centuries since Galileo came along with his telescope. On day five, God created birds to fill the sky. And he flooded the ocean with fish, manatees, oysters, clams, squid, whales. On day six, he created all the animals. And I feel like I'm speeding through these days because look at the variety. Stop anywhere and consider how much fun the creator was having in all of these artistic expressions. I'll just take one, the sloth. The sloth. God created this slow motion character. It takes a sloth about an hour to wave. It takes him a week to do the hokey pokey or perform the motions to YMCA. Imagine playing a game of Monopoly with sloths, or going on a road trip with a sloth family. Are we there yet? Probably not. On each of these six days of creation, God came to the end of the day, looked at all his vivid imagination had come up with, admired all his wild artistic endeavors, and pronounced, It is good. But on day six, after he had created lions and tigers and bears, oh my, after he said it is good, he wasn't quite finished. In the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, some wild truths are written that tell us who we are and a little more about who God is. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 and 31 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. Every person, everyone listening to this podcast, you are created in the image of God goes on to say, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And verse 31 concludes the chapter and says that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. All along he had said every day what he created was good. But here when he created us, he said, It's very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Then Genesis 2 expounds on God's crowning creation of how He created man, Adam, and how He created woman, Eve, and how He brings them together as one, as husband and wife, as family, and He places them in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 tells how Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They broke fellowship with him. They questioned God's goodness. A seed was planted into their minds by the deceiver, by the adversary. God is holding out on you. Why are you trusting him? You could be like him. You could control your own life, make your own choices. And so they committed sin. They chose what they wanted. And it was in that choice that they began to realize all the good they immediately lost. Now, I love Genesis 3, verse 8. I love this verse, not the circumstances that caused this verse to be written, but I love what it tells us. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And Genesis 3 goes on to tell us, Because of their sin, They can no longer stay in the garden. Sin brings consequences. That's a hard lesson to learn. And there's only one way to learn it. Their physical surroundings would continually remind them what had just taken place in their hearts in their souls when they willfully chose to disobey, to break fellowship with God. And so they were evicted from the garden. They were evicted from the wild. The Garden of Eden... It was meant to be our home. Walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day was meant to be our pastime and our best time. Yet what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned happened to us as well. We got evicted from the wild and we longed to go back for sin never comes to help us. It never comes to set us free. No, it comes to tame us, to subdue us, to shackle us, to leave us walking in fear and having the feeling we are walking all alone. The good news is this. The real wild followed us out of the garden. He is following us still. I'm talking about God. God is wild. The Bible tells us much about who He is, but it doesn't tell us all of who He is. In the book of Isaiah 55,8 and9, we are told this: God said, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, my ways," declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is wild. And it seems that even people who supposedly know who God is either forget this, or perhaps they never really realized it. In Annie Dillard's wonderful book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, she observes a prevalent attitude found in any given church and any given worship service on any given Sunday morning. She writes, On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets, ushers, should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. God is wild. I mean, come on. In the book of Genesis later on, he chooses a man by the name of Abraham to be his servant. He promises Abraham it will be through his seed, through his and Sarah's child, that he will bring about his work to ultimately undo what happened back in the garden when Adam and Eve ushered sin into the world. So God chooses Abraham, chooses Sarah. He promises them, I'm going to bless you with a son. And when does God keep his promise? When Abraham is 100 years old and his wife Sarah is 90 to 91 which means Isaac was conceived when Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90. Come on, that just doesn't happen anymore. But God is wild. And then after Abraham and Sarah have Isaac, the son of God's promise, what does God do? He tells Abraham one day, take Isaac up into the mountains of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt out offering. Are you kidding me? And Abraham obeys. He goes up into the mountains, he prepares an altar of sacrifice, he ties up Isaac, places God's promise upon the altar, and goes as far as raising the knife, mere seconds away from plunging it into the heart of his son. And God stops him and tells him, I've provided a ram caught in the thicket. Use that for the sacrifice instead of Isaac. That is wild. That is wild, borderline on what we may think is absurdity and cruelty. But remember, God's ways are higher than our ways. And he never asked anyone else to do that again, except himself, when he sent his son Jesus as our sacrifice. Only this time, he didn't stop the knife. He didn't stop the nails because his ways are higher than our ways. God is wild, and his son Jesus is wild. I challenge you, If you've never read the four books of the Bible known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I challenge you to read them. Listen to what Jesus said. It's outlandish and sometimes inflammatory. Look at what Jesus did. It's scandalous and miraculous and takes your breath away. And all of what he said and did is true. It has meaning and purpose. Ultimately, he did and said these things to pay for our sin so that we can walk with the wild God in the wild kingdom, in the wild garden, beginning now in the heat of this very day, this life, and forevermore in the cool of the day. In C.S. Lewis's classic story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the character of Oslan is introduced to the children who stumbled into the world of Narnia through the back of the wardrobe. Oslan is the character in the story who represents Jesus. The children are having dinner with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and the conversation runs something like this. They tell the children about Oslin, and so Susan says, but shall we see him? Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is, is, is he a man, asked Lucy, "Oslin a man, "'said Mr. Beaver sternly. "'Certainly not. "'I tell you, he is the king of the wood "'and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the king of beasts? "'Oslin is a lion, the lion, the great lion.' "'Oh,' said Susan. "I "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion.' That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Oslin without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Frederick Buechner said this. He said, to say that God is a mystery is to say that you can never nail him down. Even on Christ, the nails proved ultimately ineffective. That's wild. And we're getting ready to celebrate that wild in a week or so at Easter. Well, that's today's appetizer. I hope it whets your appetite to look up at the stars, to get out into the spring, to notice the next time Eden brushes past, to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The real wild is pursuing you, I promise you, and I encourage you to chase the wild with all your heart. Last week, we introduced these special episodes. Last week, some of my friends shared a few of their favorite appetizers, and this week, I had a few more friends give me their recommendations. So grab a pen, piece of paper. You may want to write some of these down. Howdy y'all, this is TJ Jorner from Glen Rose, Texas. And my favorite appetizer has got to be chips and salsa from almost any Mexican food restaurant you come across in Texas, but it's especially good right here in Glen Rose at Los Primos. Hello, my name is Connor Harris and my favorite appetizer is spicy jack cheese wedges from O'Charlie's. My wife Megan Harris, her favorite appetizer from Longhorn Steakhouse is the Texas Tunyon. This is Daniel Johnson from San Antonio, Texas. My absolute favorite appetizer is chips in sweet and sour sauce from the one and only China Bowl based in Bandera, Texas. Hey My name is Chase Myers from Marfa, Texas, and my favorite appetizer is chimichangas from Joe T. Garcia's in Fort Worth, Texas. What's your favorite appetizer? If you write down your favorite appetizer and your name, and you send it to redemptiontable at gmail.com, that will put you in the drawing for a free appetizer. We're having a free appetizer contest. Every week we share an appetizer episode, we're giving away one free appetizer to one of our listeners, but you have to register to win, redemptiontable at gmail.com. And also this week, for the very first time, we've put together a Spotify playlist simply entitled Wild, featuring songs by Mumford & Sons, Need to Breathe, Ross King, Drew and The Neighbors, among others. You can find the link for this playlist on our webpage, redemptionstable.com. That's Redemption's Table. There's an S in there, unlike the, the Gmail address, email address. You can find it on our webpage, or you can find it on our Facebook and Instagram pages. I encourage you to check it out. Give it a listen. And we would love for you to take a moment and write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to the podcast each week. That would also help us out. Next week's word is the word mercy, and already I can't wait. So until then, party of redemption, your table is now available.